sustain what? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are on this fast forward planet. I'm Andy Revkin at the Columbia Climate School, uh, where I run an initiative on communication innovation for impact on sustainability questions. And I'm glad to have on here for the first time, Jim Moffat, who I got to know when uh, Yale, Yale's uh, Climate Communication Group last April ran a uh, conversation with Jim. Uh, as Twitter's rumblings were beginning, uh, but it was about how to use how he has facilitated the use of this platform, Twitter, uh, as a tool, and not just a one-way alert kind of tool, but a tool for really having kind of situational awareness uh, when emergencies are unfolding with a, with a focus on uh, extreme weather. He had been doing that before he got to Twitter and when he was working at Twitter as an engineer in uh, the development uh, developer relations group. Uh, he facilitated this outgrowth of all kinds of apps and ways to uh, use the data richness of Twitter to inform and boost resilience in cities as far afield as Jakarta, Indonesia. Um, he's here today, uh, having just left Twitter. Uh, I'll ask him in a second, I think it was you quit as opposed to being fired, although there was a lot of kind of forced quitting going on as well. Um, and uh, Andrea Thompson, who is the sustainability editor at Scientific American, who has, like me, has written about this question of uh, what could we lose or what could be eroded uh, should Twitter really kind of lose its way now that Elon, the extreme storm called Elon Musk has is kind of <laughs> taken over that ecosystem. The, the, it is kind of like an extreme storm. It was forecast. There were rumblings, you know, like, uh, you know, there's going to be a mega. Uh, I guess, you know, maybe it's like an atmospheric river. It's, it's like it's like one of those uh, arc storm events, but but for information as uh, Musk taking over this platform. Uh, so first, I just want to say hello to each of you and ask you how you're doing. Jim, you're in Boulder, where you've been based for a long time, right? Yeah, I've been here for well since my my twenties. I've been here a long time. Uh, yeah, I live outside of Boulder in a town called Longmont here in Boulder County. Were you in the in the the uh, line of fire for the Marshall fire? No, um, I'm about six miles north of there, but man, that yeah. really seemed to hit home. Uh, yeah, I remember and, that day quite well. Yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary, the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, we'll get back to your Twitter journey in a second. Uh, but uh, Andrea, how are you doing? And what has life been like for you lately? Uh, you, you, like me, like many journalists rely on Twitter, but what's your like, sense of uh, comfort, your comfort level with the way the journalist focused on weather. Yeah, um, I'm, you know, overall doing well. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, <laughs> it's been for a couple of weeks because at the same time, everything was sort of blowing up with Twitter. We had the COP27 climate summit happening. So it was a very busy <laughs> space and lots to watch. And it was one of those, <laughs> Uh, it was sort of weird, you know, writing about the issues with the platform uh, that I am also relying on to kind of keep up with the climate summit um, and real-time news as, you know, it's it's 
personally become a really important tool for me, especially during those, those sort of real-time events, your hurricanes, flooding, um, wildfires, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, in addition to the emergency management concerns I wrote about, I think there's a lot of journalist concern um, about losing this as, a, as an important tool. Yeah, we were talking about the... Um... The Marshall Fire a second ago, and uh, it was incredibly helpful for me to get a hold of people literally who were there, whose homes were either burned down or not burned down, and uh, did interviews with them. I got uh, much more of a sense of, again, situational awareness with what's actually mm -hmm. happened, how is it affecting people's lives. Uh, rather than jumping on an airplane, uh, you can really connect. So, so then back, but back to Jim. So just tell us a little bit about how you became who you are so far. You know, the, the thumbnail sketch. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back now, geez, 23 years, I, I got my master's in environmental engineering and did research around monitoring snowmelt and got into instrumentation. And, um, and then there's a local company here called One Rain that I, uh, I guess I was the fourth employee there. And we're in the business of of building flood warning base station software. So uh, this is software that, you know, receives live data from sensors in the field. And it's used all over the country, counties and cities uh, where these real-time monitoring systems operate. So I was in that area for 13 years building that software. And I was ready for a change. And almost exactly 10 years ago, I heard of a startup in Boulder called Gnip. They were, at the time, a partner of Twitter and found out more about what they're building, what they're doing, got really interested in that and took a position there of a developer advocate. And at the time, I was like, what am I doing? I'm leaving flood warning, something I really, really enjoyed, and jumping into the social media position. Um, but quickly you know, it became obvious that Twitter really could be an extension of these warning systems. And as I learned more about Twitter at the time, just the real-time nature of it, the public nature of it, it was like, oh, okay, this is a kind of a natural extension of what I was doing before. Um, and to Gnip and to Twitter's credit, they supported me in this, these, you know, evangelizing the role of what, of what Twitter could play. Uh, I stayed very involved in that community going to conferences. And it was really interesting uh, over, you know, the first six, seven years, how showing up at a hydrology conference from Twitter, people would be like, what are you doing here? Uh, and, you know, but I, I presented a lot. I did a lot of data mashups showing, you know, local flood events and how they're trending with the growth of, or the posting of tweets. And I think it, caught a lot of people's imagination like oh this is just another channel that we should be communicating on but also recognizing that there's just so many tweets about any topic that of course the people are tweeting about floods about incoming hurricanes etc so um that's kind of how i ended up uh at twitter uh twitter eventually um about two years after i joined Gnip, twitter acquired or yeah twitter acquired Gnip. And that journey continued while at Twitter. And uh, you're you're breaking up there a tiny bit, but um, yeah, I'm showing here uh, some of the backstory. Uh, tell me about this. You know, for those of us who aren't programmers, 
I had to learn what API means, but <laughs> the idea that there's a way for this data to spill outward, uh, how is Twitter uh, unique in that, in that sense compared to other social platforms? What, what is it what we're talking about when we say API and yeah. an app using Twitter data? Yeah, application program programming uh, interface. So it's just the way that software can talk to other pieces of software. I mean, at its core, it's, it's really how the internet is, is, is uh, patched together. So what we provide or what Twitter provides today are APIs that, you know, let you listen for tweets of interest. It's like, you know, supports a querying language where you can build sets of filters uh, with keywords maybe or certain hashtags and you, and you pull in just the tweets of interest. So it's really uh, a way to put a lens on, you know, there's what, 6,000 tweets per second being published. But using these filters, you can pull them in in real time. And again, I, I always am gonna stress the real time nature of this. Like you can build a filter, a tweet gets posted and you can have it uh, in your software within a second. So it's extremely fast. And then there's also APIs for automating the tweeting, or the posting of tweets. So, you know, if you're running a base station flood warning system software, um, the reason you have that is to trigger alarms and then to notify when these alarms go off. So in the case of using Twitter for that application, you have some threshold, maybe the river, you know, rose two feet in 15 minutes oh, now I'm gonna trigger my notifications and you would use the API to uh, queue up a tweet and send it in an automated fashion. That's so so it's a two-way street. I mean, it's, uh, I, I found that the power of Twitter was listening for tweets of interest, um, but also of course, automating the outreach to the public. So uh, Andrea, I'd love to get some input from you here as we go forward. Uh, um, I guess here, one question I'll ask right away, given that you're out the door at Twitter, um, Jim, is did you feel like you were just getting started? In other words, I, I got the sense when you were on that April Yale show that you're still very much in evangelist mode, meaning, hey, everybody, there are these, these are the things Twitter can do that aren't about who owns it. There aren't about the noise level around politics. They're about data and some of it, something that you really care about. Uh, is this just the beginning stages of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess one important point there is that we were about halfway through launching the version two of the Twitter APIs. Some of these, we call them endpoints. They're all the different data services and, and requests that you can make. And, you know, we, we started that journey about two years ago. And we, I would say we're about halfway through the effort of re, of launching this version too. So I definitely feel some sadness there that, and uh, in, in part of this work over the last two years was really rebuilding the foundation of these APIs. Um, and what that allowed us to do and what we were doing over the last year was really increasing our cadence of how much we were release, uh, releasing. So you know, replacements for some endpoints that were, you know, first released maybe eight years ago. So definitely, yes. Um, although, you know, um, I, I felt like we had been ma making strides in this area for many years now. And, you know, it's kind of a, a steady slog of, of promoting uh, this, 
these features of Twitter that I think a lot of people have no idea about. And part of me was was excited about, okay, we have a new management, new ownership. They seem to have a science bent. Maybe there's going to be room here for, um, you know, building more, more things into Twitter that would make the public's use of Twitter during emergencies even easier. Um, so that remains to be seen, obviously. So I have, I have, I have more questions, but I'd love to hear some, get some input from Andrea, who did a really good story last week about um, the erosion of trust as one, one thing that uh, was starting to explode with the blue check sales event. So Andrew, what, what do you think about when you're thinking about, uh, you know, where we go from here and what Twitter is and isn't? Yeah, it's, that was something that I think so much remains to be seen. Um, you know, a lot is going to depend on when this new revamped Blue Verified comes out. How are they, how is the company going to differentiate between um, users who have purchased this blue tech, which until now has meant, you know, this account is run by the person who says it is, <laughs> that it's right. run by, um, and who is a authoritative, trustworthy source of information. Um, they, one of the things I, I wrote about this in the piece is, it's been sort of back and forth when Blue Verified was first rolled out, there was this separate official tag that went under someone's username. Um, that was killed off pretty quickly. Um, same day it was rolled out. Um, then when Blue, Verifi Blue Verified was put on hold, it seemed to come back, but it hasn't come back everywhere. So you'll see some brand like advertisers that'll have it. Um, and the piece I note, you know, the Weather Channel has it, the National Weather Service doesn't. Um, and, you know, none of its local offices do. Um, so I think there, you know, that opens up the possibility for a lot of confusion for people <laughs> and sort of, okay, is this, you know, at a quick glance, it's a lot harder now to know whether you can trust the information you're seeing or not. Um, and it's, uh, it sounds like there's maybe some attempts to address that moving forward, but from, and, and Jim can probably speak to this better, but some of the people I've talked to, you know, that's not an easy fix to just automate, um, you know, who gets that that official tag or or some other, you know, marker that maybe even just comes up during an emergency situation. You know, that's not a, a thing that can be easily done and quickly. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I think these questions, and this is what makes it so hard is we don't, uh, as the, the current Twitter employee I talked to um, said, this is all just iterating on the fly. Um, and in live, <laughs> there's no testing or um, thinking about, well, I should say, there were at least some people thinking about some of these questions. Um, there was not a lot of listening <laughs> to the right. issues raised um, before these these features were rolled out. Um, and that that alone, I think, is something that can make this, a, you know, erode some of the trust for people and um, make it a potentially less valuable tool. If you just, any given day, you don't know what's going on or how to use the, the system anymore. Yeah. So, Jim, uh, any thoughts on that? And the other thing I think about is I have gotten input when I've been tweeting about this and uh, on some email threads with the internet people. Uh, they say, well, you know, t 
we do you do this on radio you get all your you get your warnings on apps it doesn't have to be twitter centric uh, is is this what is unique about twitter what makes it this place that uh, stands out yeah well, to your first question i mean I, I was waiting for the final design of this revamping of verification uh, myself and my team you know, we maintain and create all the documentation that developers use to understand how to use these APIs. And, you know, we carefully document when you pull a user object or a tweet object, you know, what all these different fields mean. So we were very listening carefully for clues of, of how this JSON description of an object would change so we could document it. I mean, I think it's one thing I was kind of excited for, like, okay, let's have some kind of uh, status that shows you're an actual human rather than an automated account. And we've made some progress in that sense where if you, you know, and I am a true believer that there's amazing good bots on Twitter, both chat bots and automated accounts. And yes, they should be labeled as such. And if you can somehow verify that, yes, I'm a, I'm a human being using Twitter, you, you might get a little symbol or something. Um, but obviously this verification and the ability to pay $8 a month to get that is a slippery slope, which I think, you know, in the short time it was rolled out, a lot of lessons were learned. Uh, and I too am curious to see what, you know, what will be announced on November 29th in terms of verification 2.0 or, um, so I, th I think those are critical things. I mean, especially when it comes to emergencies and getting information, obviously uh, the more that can be done to verify the source, of course, I'm all for that. So why, why, why did you, why did you quit? Well, I mean, I'm, I hope it doesn't sound cheesy, but for me, my eight year tenure at Twitter was really all about my colleagues. And uh, the team we have here in Boulder, which is sort of uh, an extension of the GNIP team we had from, from the acquisition, uh, you know, I learned that of all the engineering teams that drive the features, the products, the API, the endpoints that my team supports, about 85% were let go in that first round. Mm -hmm. And so it's just sort of writing on the wall that without those teams, building the things that I go out and talk about that I sit down and document that I wasn't sure of the future I would have or my team would have in that type of environment. So I don't know. Um, that's really the main reason. That's a pretty good reason. <laughs> and now do you have a sense you were talking about this, the work toward November 29th and the next steps for the API. Um, Who's left? Yeah, that's top of mind. Um, I really don't know at this point um, how, I mean, it's public information um, as being a formerly public company that these endpoints drive through partnerships we have with uh, all kinds of different companies of all different sizes. It drives nearly $400 million a year in revenue. And this is you know, it's not ad revenue and, and it's only 10, 15% of, of Twitter's revenue at the time, but it's very stable. It's, it's driven by multi-year contracts. It's not, 
you know, in a recession, it's not going to be affected by advertised spending going down. So, yeah, that, that's one of my colleagues, Emily, um, that you're showing. But yeah, I mean, that was our job to go out and, and work with other developers of all kinds, from academics to, I worked with engineering teams at some of the biggest partners we have. Um, but again, without that engineering engine, it was unclear to me um, if I would have new things to talk about. And yeah. One of the fun. I wanted to talk about that, the Jakarta example. Yeah. Because it struck me as particularly neat, unless there are others that are like it, where essentially you've got this sprawling megacity with, with a lot of low land and flood risk. And that allows mm -hmm. information to come in and create a kind of a dynamic map that's generated by users, essentially. Um, where to give you sort of more verification of where the flood is severe and that like the like um is this something that's remotely re replicable using any other data flows like you know everyone's talking about mastodon and some of the other platforms they're, they're still kind of nascent but do they have the potential for that kind of thing or is this fundamentally again twitter centric yeah, that's a tough one to answer. I mean, I, obviously, I've been very focused on what Twitter brings to the table. I haven't spent a lot of time, you know, working with APIs that other social media networks provide. Um, I imagine there's uh, some potential for others to provide this. But again, I think the main thing that Twitter brought was really over indexing, not over, but just focusing on the real time nature of this. Uh, you know, we work with partners who uh, built tools based upon that uh, latency. Uh, it's something we really focused on. If if the network ever slowed down, believe me, my partners would let us know uh, almost in real time. So, and just the public nature of, of, of Twitter made it so unique. You know, there's all these other federated type systems where you may have a community over on one server and a different community over here. And until we have these bridges between these different communities, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And honestly, I don't know a lot about the APIs that, you know, other like Snap or Meta, what they provide. Um, I know Meta as one example. Yeah, they have a pretty extensive uh, set of endpoints that make up their API. My, my gut tells me it's really driven to help advertisers automate their advertising. I'm not really sure about the real-time nature. I have to, you know, even a three-minute latency or a 10-minute latency to get your tweet or your posting out is critical. And, you know, that was really the special, or still is, the special thing about Twitter. Um, and that was really what really, when I went to hydrology conferences or really any type of, anytime I had the chance to do a demo, I would demonstrate the lack of latency and posting a tweet and then seeing it show up in my feed on my computer. And the fact that it was like, in some cases, less than a second, uh, that really opens the eyes of a lot of, you know, data and engineering folks like, wow, that, that is rocket science. And that is a, uh, a special superpower that Twitter has. That's kind of my name. Yeah. Andrew, what's, what do you think about all this? Yeah, that's, um, that echoes a lot of what I heard from emergency management folks that, 
you know, uh, Twitter is really the only current social media platform that has this real-time linear timeline. Um, you know, if you look at Facebook, their algorithm, you know, is geared to promote uh, other things and they're actually moving away from news as well um, they're not going to place as much emphasis on that um, so you know i think the potential would be there but they'd have to change the way you know their algorithm displays um posts on your on your timeline um and you know instagram sort of same thing um and an issue sort of with emerging um uh, platforms like Mastodon, besides the sort of decentralized nature and siloing, um, if you're if you're joining it, is that you know at least from the perspective of government accounts, um, a lot of you know local emergency management offices are really small, um, have really limited budgets. They don't have the time or the manpower to invest in learning a new platform and figuring out how to reach people on it. Um, there's also you know. Uh, a bigger sort of security, um, I, I guess, aversion. <laughs> they, you know, they, they, it took a while, I think, to, to, to get people, um, you know, government accounts onto Twitter and to say, yes, this is safe and effective. Um, and so there's a lot of proving that will have to happen with those platforms before you would be able to get, um, you know, those offices on, onto those platforms. Um, so it just, it really limits the effectiveness. Every everyone I talked to said, you know, there is nothing like Twitter. It is it has become, for better or worse, integrated into the way we communicate with the public in these situations. And I think, up until now, it has probably on balance been for the better. How that continues? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I love that point too. I mean, already there were tools that you know, a small emergency management office in some county somewhere could. You know, be a tweet deck or uh, I worked with partners that made their software platforms available at a you know, sort of a nonprofit type uh, pricing. And I, you know, I'm biased, but I do think if I always kind of joke, like if you hired a computer science intern for a summer at the end of that summer, they could have built you a really useful tool for not only listening for local tweets of interest, but for automating whatever software you're using for your monitoring system. And, uh, you know, in the back of my mind um, was planning on setting up a workshop, you know, sort of a hands-on coding workshop where uh, you bring the language, the computer language of your choice, and we'll sit down and, and, and show the basics of these two things, the listening side and the publishing side. Um, so may, maybe there's opportunities to still do that down the road, but um, I do think the Twitter API was very accessible. Uh, it was free to academics. It was free as long as you're not pulling in more than a half a million tweets a month, which for a local area would be an extremely amount of tweets around any flooding or hurricanes. It was free and as fast as the paying customers. So um, we had a lot of unique characteristics that really there is low, you know, barriers to entry. Wow. Well, I will say for anyone who's interested in more of the technical side and wants to, uh, maybe get in touch with you going forward. The, there's a link to this Google doc that you did back in April in the post that's there at revkin.substack.com. And it, and this is just one huge resource. It has case studies, uh, uh, has, uh, again, 
the whole uh, FAQ on getting started. Yeah. So that yeah. that's in the uh, that 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 itself just that Google Doc was a huge public service. I think. Um, are, do you have a sense? Are you taking a little bit of a break, or are you uh, do you already have a vision where you want to be going and forward? I, I don't know much beyond the next two weeks. Uh, I'm not going to get too serious in the next two weeks. I'm going to do a lot of bike riding and uh, do some skiing for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely. Uh, but having said that, I, I have some you know early threads that I'm pursuing. Uh, definitely have a, a, you know, my first love is uh, monitoring systems and public safety systems. So, um, who knows, I may return to that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I do enjoy Dev Relations, that, that opportunity to, you know, get excited about some technology and go out and mentor and have an opportunity to teach in some cases. Uh, that's something I, I really enjoyed as well. So we'll yeah, see. Right. Well, we were talking before you. Sorry about that echo. We were talking before you quit uh, about some brainstorming with the Columbia Climate School. Let's see what, if we could help. But uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do there. Um, yeah, if you ever want to set up a workshop, let me know. <laughs> good. And by the way, where did Snowman come from? I assume you're a skier or. Yeah, um, grew up in Minnesota. That's skiing is really what, what brought me first to Colorado. Um, and then in grad school, I did a master's thesis on monitoring snowmelt around hazardous waste sites to model, you know, the, the plugs of water from snowmelt into the soils. So I don't know, snow is one of my favorite weather things. So uh, that's why snowman. <laughs> uh, Andrea, any other, any other questions from you? Yeah. Um to think um yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you have any visibility into kind of where things were you know when you left i've talked you know to one person who was still there and it just sounds like everything is really paused you know the programs they were working on they're like we can't really do anything because we just have no idea what's going to come from on high and it sounds like everything really has to go through elon right now um, yeah. to know yeah. what's going to come yeah that's my impression as well uh you know, the timing is just, I guess, I don't know when the timing for this would be good, but we had some other features that we are on the cusp of releasing. Uh, some really neat things to sort of customize your Twitter experience, um, you know, around timelines. You can imagine setting up a timeline that's just around emergency or your local offices or your National Weather Service, whatever. Uh, so. I have, I don't know. I don't know what to think of things like that in terms of will there be a push to put it out? Who will put it out? Who will maintain it? Yeah, it's, uh, but again, I, I, I can't believe the APIs themselves would be let go. Again, they drive some significant revenue and they really, um, they really help expand the reach of Twitter. Um, with these, with this toolkit, you can build all kinds of amazing things. You know, we have, there's folks like, I don't know, gaming consoles. They use these APIs to, to blend in conversations around some game or something, you know, in the experience. That, and, you know, so the, the use cases are endless. And these APIs just represent the basic building blocks of building these types of things. So that's what I loved about Twitter is like, whatever your interest is, mine was flood warning. 
I jumped in and was like, oh, of course Twitter is a tool for this. So whatever interest you have or community you want to build, you know, it can be a really useful tool, obviously. It, uh, you know, I, I just happened to stumble on this. Uh, actually, if you could mute when I'm... Jim, I think it might be some feedback from you. Um, let's see. Matthew Ingram, who's... I think he's at the Columbia Journalism Review. This is in 2016. He tweeted, uh, In an alternate universe, Twitter never went public and is a profitable real-time news utility with an open API and multiple revenue streams. Now, suppose the worst happens here. Somehow, Musk... Uh, declares bankruptcy or just wants to do a fire sale could it actually go back to being could we wind the clock back to what he said in 2016 maybe um i mean it's funny it's it is an open api today we do have multiple revenue streams so some of this seems like real and current to me it's there anyway yeah, yeah um yeah, it's just hard to predict the future. I, I've been blown away by the last four weeks of my uh, career in life. Uh, I have no idea <laughs> what's next. Yeah, I, I guess um, Silicon Valley has had these kinds of moments. Um, the news business has as well. Some newsrooms where um, a new publisher came in, there's been abrupt change, uh, very disruptive in some of the chains and the like. I guess this is sort of a hazard to uh, having something that has a public utility sort of value, but that's really a commercial enterprise ultimately. You know, the the public service side of journalism generally is uh, in still in deep doo doo right now, um, and we end up if you end up with a news site that's just chasing clicks, even during the extreme event, it, is that useful? Uh, I, I keep thinking the news business could do a lot more of what you've been developing on Twitter itself, where we're providing uh, communities with data, with sort of map data, with real-time awareness, not just with stories. This happened at uh, the Atlantic Monthly during the COVID pandemic with the COVID tracker. So, so I, I, I still feel what that model, how you've utilized that part of Twitter extends beyond Twitter, but it's still kind of uh, background. I, I don't think there's enough awareness of what can be done that way. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the challenge of of being a commercial enterprise yet becoming this utility. <laughs> and yeah, it's a yeah, it's it's an interesting situation to be in. Um, I always felt that Twitter, you know, as what's the saying, punched a lot bigger than its weight. I mean. You talk about even when we had 7,500 employees, then you look at a Facebook that has well over 100,000 employees. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't notice a lot of people on Twitter saying, hey, I'll be over on Facebook. Come catch me there. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, in Wall Street, I always seem to view why isn't Twitter more like Facebook, you know? why don't they have 3 billion users or whatever the number they throw out? And, you know, and then, you know, five years ago we had 4,000 employees and I thought we were actually a pretty lean and efficient group. Uh, and now of course we're probably, Twitter's probably down to, I don't know, 2,000 employees. I'm not sure. No. Yeah, from what I understand, there's um, concerns too with, you know, especially engineering ranks sort of being 
decimated about less less you know the the Twitter just sort of disappearing suddenly, but just lots of little things going wrong and sort of accumulating over time. Um, you know, we've seen a couple of them sort of happen already, but just becoming less stable overall gradually. Is that, I've, yeah, I've seen kind of conflicting assertions about how, yeah. how much brittleness there is. Jim, I don't know what that feels like. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of unknowns here. I mean, yes, I think it's likely that some cracks will start revealing themselves. You know, it's been a long time since Twitter went down. And last time it went down, it was probably for half an hour or something. Um, if it goes down again, you know, who knows? A half an hour could turn into several days. But, but I do think it speaks to how well engineering had been doing over the last eight years to make this network so stable and so real time, you know, I, I, I think if it doesn't go down, it's a testament to to what was built, not not that oh, uh, we didn't need all those people. The the other thing that drives me a little nuts about the lack of, well, hopefully there's more awareness after we're done here in this hour, and if people are reading Andrea's stories and following Sam Montano's tweets and other people, uh, there's this priority globally now. The UN, uh, the WMO back whenever that was in March, uh, you know, issued this new mandate to, but, well, not a mandate, but a goal for by 2030 to have virtually everybody in the world uh, have access to prompt, you know, weather warnings. Um, it seems like the perfect moment for that API capacity to be really, uh, for people to be actively looking at that, investing in it, not just as a public good, but um, you, you know, I'm sure insurance industry, other people must be focused on this question. So uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> what can we do? Maybe I'll say, what can we do together or individually to sort of drive this forward? Um, who, who doesn't get this? Elon? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing is I always thought as Twitter is sort of this it could be a communication layer that you rely upon without tweeting much or even reading your timeline. Um, you know, I'd get excited about the, the direct message private layer where you could envision a system where you use Twitter to enroll into some sort of notification system and you, you check the box or whatever to say, yeah, when something's happening in my area, send me a, a private message, which are much harder to miss, I think, than a random tweet on your timeline. So it's kind of an interesting concept. Like you could harness the power of Twitter and those different communication layers. Um, I mean, none of that, as far as I know, is going away. So, um, you know, it's not always about the tweets. It's uh, it could be about the communication layer that that Twitter provides, and especially there, on, the, on the private side. Are there already applications using that sort of opt-in direct message thing? I hadn't heard about that. Um, it's not as widespread as I had hoped. I, it's quick little story. I was at a hydrology uh, conference back in 2017 and set up a demo that did that. You'd You'd come in through a chat bot on Twitter, through DMs. And this is all around the state of Texas because I was working with the USGS uh, Water Science Center. And they've done some really great things on Twitter. But the way it worked is you would pick, like through a, a menu basically, 
the city or the town or the county you wanted alerts for. And then, and then it would rely upon what, what Texas USGS was doing was they were taking, uh, working with the weather service, they were tweeting out either rain alerts or river level alerts and they geotagged them. So then I built the system behind the scenes. I would listen for tweets like that and then match it up to who opted in and then send them a DM when something hit in their area. And the coolest thing about it was I was doing this demo during a talk and sure enough, it was raining hard throughout Texas and people in the room were signing up at the start of the talk. And by the end of the talk, they were getting alerts through Twitter about flooding in their area. So uh, it just was kind of a, you know, uh, a perfect storm of uh, doing this demo for the state of Texas when it was raining really hard. But it really opened up a lot of people's eyes, obviously. But, you know, it's not, it's not the simplest thing to build, but um, it's very doable. That's really cool. Um, and I assume this has been used for other hazards, wildfire. Earthquake is a little tough because it's so instantaneously. instantaneously. Yeah. Although there are, the earthquake now, they do have like in Mexico City, in areas where the geology is a certain way, you do have a second or two uh, yeah. at least to duck and cover. And I saw on Twitter this morning uh, the Jakarta system was getting responses around the earthquake that they just had uh, in the last 12 hours. And that's one push that that team is doing in Jakarta is to make uh, the system not just so flood-focused, but wildfires, uh, earthquakes, um, and other natural disasters. So um, that's the cool thing about these tools is if you build it and it's really seen as a notification system, then it doesn't really matter why you're notifying. Um, and I don't know about the Texas system. It's it's very focused on rain and hurricanes and flooding, uh, but certainly it could be extended uh, to alert on other types of weather. So there's a frontier there to write about. I'll, I'll be getting uh, <laughs> more for sure. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not seeing a lot of questions coming in at the moment. This will be posted for people to share later as well. So uh, if there are, maybe if, could you talk briefly through how you made the relationship with the folks in Indonesia? How did that start? And, and again, what lessons can come from that, building that relationship to uh, widening? Yeah. Things? Yeah, it's a cool story. Um, back in, I think it was 2013, uh, we were still Gannett, but we were, again, a partner of Twitter at the time. And they had this thing called the Data Grant, where they invited academics and others to propose things they could build if we gave them free access to basically the fire hose of tweets. And there was a group of researchers down, actually down in Australia, who, you know, researched smart cities and, and different ways to make cities more livable and i'm not sure how they knew about the perfect storm of jakarta you know the fact that it gets these annual rain rains that it's you know like new orleans with lots of below sea level parts of the city but also what made it unique at the time was the the usage of twitter was off the charts it was one of our biggest uh heat maps of twitter users in the world was in in jakarta and Indonesia. 
So they were like, well, let's let's build something where Twitter's sort of the communication layer, not only for listening, but also for alerting. So they they won this data grant. And then it became so successful and everything they built was open sourced. And it just, you know, the researchers essentially moved on to other things. I, in fact, the group that kind of started it up all kind of spread out around the world, but they left behind this open source system that basically was adopted by local folks and remained as sort of a nonprofit. And it just, you know, grew its own legs and has lived on ever since. And then as a partner engineer at Twitter, I just, because I worked with them early on, I just sort of adopted them as one of the partners I took care of and helped, you know, make sure they had the access they needed, um, consulted with them around, you know, different features, working with our policy team uh, to make sure that everything they're doing uh, was, you know, um, within the policy and within the rules. So anyway, I just, I just loved working with them and continued that up until last Thursday. Wow. <laughs> so. We were, we were, Andrea, we were planning, I was planning with Jim to have a webcast with folks in Indonesia uh, on how that played out, but uh, we'll have to figure out another way to get at that. Right. It's a, well, it's a great story. So that, I guess the question then is how to spread that, the joy, how to spread that, that case study of Jakarta, how to make sure, um, you know, there was the 100 Resilient Cities Project, the Rockefeller Foundation. There, There is these big adaptation alliances. Uh, are they remotely engaged on this kind of thing? Because their whole idea is sort of making a cross-fertilization. Yeah, and I'd say, you know, there's st they would still have an appetite to join us and talk about it. But um, certainly they, they are in the business of already providing all of this technology as open source software. Uh, they obviously have lots of expertise in-house. I think it's very easy to replicate to other areas of the world. Uh, they're, I, you know, they're expanding into the Philippines, for example. I know, I, I can't remember where exactly, but they're working with other academics and I, I wanna say somewhere else in, in Southeast Asia. Um, probably in India as well. So yeah, that's a group that what they've built is very, could easily be replicated elsewhere. What, what they may not have is, is, is uh, the, someone to talk to at Twitter to get them up and started with the access that they need. Right. Um, Cause obviously when it's, when they're getting big, big floods in Jakarta, the traffic is quite high. Are there other countries or cities that are hotspots for Twitter like that? I mean, in, in other words, where there's a high um, user ratio? Yeah, I think in Japan. Japan has always been, and Japan has been amazing with uh, innovation. You know, the, the big thing there is earthquake detection. You know, early on, I think in probably back in 2012, there's already academic studies about how the Twitter was like the fastest dissemination of earthquake data than even the more official channels. So J Japan is very much like that. Um, yeah, those are the two that I think of. And tsunami warnings is another thing too. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, um, we may uh, call a stop to this shortly. If there's uh, Andrea, where you know what if you wanted to storify this, or you know what what do you see going forward? I mean, you know, uh, the things I'll be watching are kind of this the stuff I talked about how they actually roll out boot verified. It's really going to be. Uh, from what I understand, most places, emergency management, National Weather Service and stuff are going to keep using, there's no change to how they're using Twitter right now. Um, I think you'd probably have to see some pretty serious degradation of, of um, you know, day-to-day -day use and or, um, you know, if some of the changes that have, that Musk has floated in terms of, you know, people who buy into Blue Verified, their tweets being prioritized in the timeline so that you're not actually seeing, you know, that's not a thing that, you know, that, that a public, um, a government uh, agency is going to have in their budget. <laughs> um, you know, so if, if it changes the way, anything changes the way tweets actually appear in your timeline uh, in a way that would hide a lot of that information um, or, you know, potentially spread more misinformation or if you know the service just degrades a lot i think you will see um some of those agencies start to look elsewhere i think for the meantime like like a lot of other people they're just sort of going <laughs> going with the flow using it as they normally do and just sort of waiting that's <laughs> where we all are i guess yeah it does remind me of a. Uh... It's an extreme event. You know, we don't think about them so much in the uh, information ecosystem as we do in the climate system. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's created a disturbance in the force. Um, I wrote my first piece about what happened. Well, I wrote way back in May a piece saying mm -hmm. uh, Twitter has huge utility no matter who owns it. I said, you can own it. And I listed like eight or nine ways that you don't have to pay attention to all the storm and the misinformation you can use it to build connectedness and build in global you know partnerships uh, around qu big questions uh, but then and then i wrote another piece about using the uh, the idea of a phoenix you know rising from the ashes that i was actually saying maybe in a, in, in a way there's a this is a good moment because he has thrown a giant rock into the pool of public what's public what's private what's commercial he you know, these are issues that have festered for a long time, but maybe this would prompt someone to finally say, well, we can make Mastodon do this or, or we can, if Twitter goes on the market, we can do, do it in a pared down way or whatever. So is this, Jim, you know, it's been super hard, I imagine, for all so many thousands of employees at Twitter and for users, you know, who are freaked out, but if you step back and look at this with like a 20 year time scale from 2007 through 2037, is this, uh, or 24, is that two, is it 30 <laughs> years or 20 years? Okay. You, you know, is this, is this a good thing? Could this, could this be a good thing? Yeah. I mean, I think Twitter, you know, it's made the need for a public real time channel like this very obvious and, who knows what will happen with Twitter over the next year or so, but I would have to think that if Twitter moves away from providing that for whatever reason, um, that something will fill that void. But at the same time, you know, building Twitter was a decade effort 
And there's just so much complexity behind it in terms of privacy, in terms of uh, privacy regulations, um, you know, just the plumbing involved is, is amazing. And the fact that it's so fast and so public and global, um, I, I don't want to, I have no idea like how hard would that be to rewrite from scratch. But uh, it's it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, uh, the engineers I worked with to a T were all super smart and motivated and proud of what they had built. So, uh, but it's not to say that uh, some other service could pop up that provides those characteristics, those features. And it seems like a lot of some places are working. Other people besides Mastodon are are. You know, I've at least seen discussion of, of some alternatives and I'm sure other people are thinking about trying to launch things. So it'll be interesting to watch. Is there, um, I, I marvel at Wikipedia as being, you know, I used to write about cathedral building in the context of the big sustainability challenges where everything takes time. It takes multiple generations. It's always iterating. You're building a cathedral knowing you're not going to live to see it done. And Wikipedia is like this amazing dynamic scintillating cathedral that's sort of mass produced. And I know Jimmy Wales has been working on some things that are relevant to this discussion, but is, is that what a vision of some truly public successor might look like? It also is pretty rapid turnaround, but not, not like second by second. Yeah. And, you know, the, the key piece in my mind is providing and putting the work in to provide those endpoints that make up an API that really make it, you know, uh, easy to automate and to connect to other pieces of software. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting concept. And, you know, w Wikipedia is another example of this thing that just organically grew and has become so useful. Is there a, can, can AI help build it more efficiently? You know, something that's like Twitter, but I don't know. I'm sure someone's already working on that kind of question. Yeah, I don't know what uh, machine learning and AI engineers are remain, but obviously it's going to be a focus. I, I'd have to believe, actually, that I'd probably get more of a focus under uh, Elon Musk management. Um, I'm sure his confidence and belief in those type of systems is quite high. Um, but, you know, Twitter is a very human uh, network. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. I guess uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we can reconvene in uh, six months and see, <laughs> see how things are going. There are, someone here mentioned San Diego County, and I can't remember if I mentioned it earlier, but the hashtag emerged on Twitter and the first functioning hashtag was San Diego fire back in 2007. So um, yeah. Twitter has always been sort of a fountain of yeah, a place to test ideas. What was so cool about the hashtag Chris Messina invented the hashtag in August of 2017 was it was just an idea, you know, just put a pound sign in front of word and use that as an organizing principle. It, 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 it reminded me in Harry Potter movies of the port key. If you all just hold on to the hashtag port key, you, you all go to the same place. And <laughs> so, so hopefully uh, some, some aspect of Twitter beyond the level of the noise and the chaos, if that functionality and 
the core developers within that company are sustained. I'm I'm certainly rooting for it to to keep to keep going. Andrea, do you do you feel the same way? I I have a Mastodon account, but I, Andrew, have you been on Mastodon? Are you on Mastodon? I'm not. I have. <laughs> I have sort of limited headspace and time. I have a, a toddler, so <laughs> I know. <laughs> to work, my time is very curtailed. So I haven't ventured there yet, although some of my coworkers have. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm certainly going to keep using Twitter for the time being, as long as it still performs the uses I need for my job. Um, you know, if if the either service degrades or you start seeing a lot more hate speech or other problematic, um, you know, content that might change my mind. Um, but yeah, for now, sort of maintaining um, for for professional reasons. Yeah. And Jim, are you, are you going to be on Twitter, you know, as Snowman going forward? Yeah. yeah. Are you on Mastodon? Are you checking out any of the other, the other, uh, yeah, I've started that exploration, but also, I mean, certainly through the end of this year, I'll be dabbling in some pet projects that are Twitter-based. Um, you know, I want to get my coding skills uh, revved up again. Um, and, I, I, you know, I've been able to develop lots of, lots of Twitter-based things over the years, and there's a few that uh, I want to revisit. So even though I no longer work there, uh, I, I still have some, some just my own motivation to to get back into some of these projects, for sure. Great. Well, I really am grateful that you both could be on here for an hour, Andrea. We should we should do get you on more frequently to do some other stuff too. Yeah, happy uh, to do it. You know, weather and climate is us. Uh, and <laughs> good luck with your work at Scientific American going forward, Jim. I, I'm just showing your Twitter account here. If folks want to get in touch with you down the line uh, at snowman and you're on github there uh, this all gets recorded and posted as a video as soon as we're done so uh, thank you for this twitter chat uh, well today. thank you for thanks for having me and uh, thank you again andrea and yeah thanks for having me we'll definitely just see how this plays out but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do i'll do what i can to retain people's understanding that twitter has incredible utility no matter who owns it i think that's the first step and yep. there, are, there are levels of it that can be deeply prob problematic, but let's not give up yet. Thanks for listening. I'm Andy Revkin. This audio is from my Sustain What webcast, which I produce as part of my communication initiative at Columbia University's Climate School. Subscribe and get in touch with feedback or ideas for future discussions at revkin.substack.com. If you've gotten this far, a song is in order. So here's my tune, Liberated Carbon. It took a thousand generations for our species to rise, but gathering and hunting was no way to get by. We yearned to burn more than dung and sticks. Then someone came along and said, hey, try lighting this. He opened up the ground and showed us coal and oil. Said, come liberate some carbon, it'll make your blood boil. Liberated carbon, it'll spin your wheels. Liberated carbon, it'll nuke your meals. Liberated carbon, it'll turn your night to day. Hey, 
Mabel Burns in my SUV. We can light up the planet like a Christmas tree. Yeah, they say that things are getting hot, but hey, we've got AC. Liberated carbon, it'll spin your wheels. Liberated carbon, it'll nuke your meals. Liberated carbon, it'll turn your night to day. Hey, hey, come on and liberate some carbon, babe. It's American way. Pump those electrons and that gasoline. No sweat or hurry, just turn on a Army to the desert, keep this country free. Hey, hey, to liberate some carbon, baby, for you and me. Liberated carbon, it'll spin your wheels. Liberated carbon, it'll nuke your meals. Liberated carbon, it'll turn your night to day. American way.